Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, Angel Collinson is back on the show to dive deep into the topics of passion and curiosity and boundaries when it comes to things like careers and relationships. And the specific angles on these topics were all chosen by you and the many of you who wrote in with your excellent questions. And by the way, if you would like to meet, ski, and or hang out with Angel yourself, well, Angel is going to be at our Blister Summit in Mount Crested Butte from February 4th through the 8th. So come join us, and you can also then meet, ski, and or hang out with me and the rest of our excellent Blister team. I can also tell you that the mountain here in Crested Butte is shaping up very nicely. Yesterday was another outstanding day of skiing with good friends, and so check out the link to the Blister Summit in the show notes of this episode, then sign up, and we are really looking forward to seeing you all at the summit. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Willie's Ski and Snowboard Shops, where they offer the largest selection of ski boots within a four to five hour radius of Pittsburgh and have gear for everyone from never evers to expert skiers and riders, in addition to offering outstanding boot fitting and tuning services. These are just some of the reasons why Willie's is a blister recommended shop. And actually, this past Friday, we just published a really interesting conversation with Willie's president, Greg Klein. So you can check that out over on our Gear 30 podcast, and you can go to willysskiandboard.com to learn more about everything that's going on at Willie's. And now, folks, it is once again time to jump right into the deep end of the pool with Angel Collinson. Here we go. Hi, Angel. How are you doing? Hi, Jonathan. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm great. <laughs> Once again, it's time to dive deep. Let's talk a little bit about why you wanted to bring up these particular topics today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like when we, so we, we have a, to all you listeners, Jonathan and I, and I have a little Google Doc document going that we kind of re reference like different potential topics and where we put all your questions into. And so I just put in topics that I notice are uh, prevalent in my life or in a lot of my friends' lives. And I notice a theme. And so the sort of passion versus curiosity, like um, what what's the difference? Like, which do we follow? was kind of inspired by noticing a lot of people having big life changes happening lately, obviously myself included. And right now it's like, I have different passions, but I also have a lot of curiosities and um, I'll reference probably later when we're talking about some of the questions, but there's this really great book called Big Magic by, again, I referenced her in the last podcast, Liz Gilbert. Um, but uh yeah, this it's called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. And it's kind of about 
how to live like the daring creative life that you want and what's practical and how do you get out of your own way and how do you find the way forward into like the life that you want to lead. And it's a fantastic book. I really, really loved it. And in there, she kind of talks about the difference between passion and curiosity. And so I just wanted to, yeah, note that for one of our conversations. And then the boundaries thing, I was curious if people were going to come back with questions around um, like boundaries with people or relationships or, you know, like our family um, but or also boundaries around like our time and our energy and how do we discern like what to do with it. And it was kind of around the latter. Um, and I love both of those ideas. And I've been really grappling with that in this new life here in Boulder. I'm like, okay, how do I time block? How do I give the right things to the right things? And also recognize when a path is leading nowhere and choose something new and say no to that opportunity in a graceful way. So yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about them. And as it turns out, these are very related, I think. the And it didn't strike me that way initially, but then I actually I proposed we sort of do this question of passion and curiosity, and let's bring also this question that every human life has to deal with, the boundary question. And so we're, we're, we're doing a mashup, I guess, and... Once again, you all asked some, I think, really interesting questions. Uh, so I think we should dive in. What question do you want to start with, Angel? Uh, okay, let's start with this question by Marie Pierre. Um, by immersing into passion for so long, doesn't the passion lose meaningfulness? And so I think that can be taken a couple different ways. The way that I interpret it is like, when you're so immersed in your passion for a really long time, like does the passion cease to be so either important or are you less passionate about the thing? Um, I'm curious like what your take on the question is before we proceed. Right. So let's, we'll use its example close to hand. So I start Blister in 2011. We want to do product reviews better about all this expensive gear. I'm very focused or, or excited about that for a number of reasons, like telling the truth to our friends in the ski and snowboard and bike communities, et cetera. Um, and so I have been doing it for a long time. So now to answer the second half of the question, doesn't the passion lose meaningfulness and so we we actually were talking about this a little bit ourselves. Do we mean like, well, that passion is going to fade or just the, is the passion still there, but we, the exact reasons, the exact significance, those things go away. And like, is that even possible? Like if if you have a passion and there is a loss of significance, can you separate that too? Yeah, it's an interesting kind of question and conundrum. And um, I, why I wanted to uh, open up with that question is because of my own experience with it and with skiing. You know, it was like I started out being so passionate about big mountain skiing and free skiing, like because it was my escape from like the super regimented world of ski racing. And so if I needed to clear my head, I just found so much joy and freedom, just like shredding snowboard headphones in like you know, CD Walkman. I know I've talked about those days a lot, but those are like my glory free skiing days. I was so strong uh, from weightlifting and I was just skiing really well and it felt so good. I was so passionate about it. Like I wore baggy pants, like all the race. I think maybe I've said this before, but like 
in the racing world, you wear zip off pants, you know, cause you have your speed suit underneath. And so you wear pants that just zip off. So, you know, when you're at the top of the course, it's like, boom, you can just strip down really easy. But I was really obstinate, even towards like when I was competing, um, in Europe and traveling with the U S ski team, even though I wasn't on it, I was at a really high level and I still was wearing these super baggy sessions pants and I'd have to like pull them off over my ski boots every time and it's such a pain in the butt but it was just who I was like at my core I just love free skiing but then when it became my job right and I was doing it for many reasons um I was actually getting to ski less and wait on weather windows or wait on camera windows or travel for you know photo shoot it's not related to skiing like there's so much of that part of the job that I started to lose my passion for the sport itself. And I like had a really hard time. I couldn't get it back, right? It ended up in me being like, this isn't it, I'm out. And I want to do other things with my life. And so I don't know how I could have avoided that. Um, part of it was just doing it for so long. I'd been skiing my whole life. And so I just think it's an interesting question I don't have a great answer for it, but that's why I like the curiosity thing um, because I want to read just part of this quote from that book, Big Magic. Um, People who are feeling lost and fuzzy and disconnected from their creativity often ask me, Liz, how should I find my passion? And I always advise them, forget about finding your passion for now. Just follow your curiosity. It's not that I dislike passion. Trust me, I love it. But I understand that passion can be out of reach. It's a rare phenomenon and it's difficult to find every single day. It's powerful. It comes and goes as it pleases. Curiosity has lower stakes. Curiosity is the tiny clue that you almost overlooked. It's more gentle, more accessible, and it's always near. Um, and she talks about how curiosity like can lead you into passion, but that to expect ourselves to feel really passionate about the same thing day in and day out for years and years and years might not always be accessible. Like I found myself losing the passion. And so now it's like, though I have passions, I actually have more curiosities available to me in this time when I'm like, where am I going with my life? How am I going to really make my next, what's my next career going to be? And curiosity has been the way forward for me. And so yeah, I just, that's why I picked that question first and wanted to read that quote. All right. I think we're already in the deep end of the pool. So <laughs> where do you want to go to next? Okay. I kind of like this question that Megan asked, can your passion impede your curiosity? And um, I thought that was an interesting question because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that. But when I think about that from my perspective, I think sometimes we get tunnel vision on our thing or on our passion. And sometimes that really serves us, right? When we're like working towards a big project or trying to, you know, achieve a big goal. And that's great. You know, we need that elimination. But I think, you know, what happens when we get those blinders on is, yeah, maybe we miss like other things along the way that can add more to our life that might make it feel well-rounded or balance out maybe almost like a overly passionate existence, if that makes sense. Maybe not overly passionate, but like a sort of one track existence. And not that that's everyone's experience, but when I read that question, I was like, oh yeah, I do think that sometimes we get so focused on one thing on our passion that 
we do miss little fun things along the way. Not that there's a right or wrong way to do it, but I definitely, um, I've experienced that. Yeah. I'm curious, like, I'm curious what your thoughts on it are. I would kind of say the question again, can your passion impede your curiosity? A hundred percent. This is, this is the way a human life works. We have a limited number of days on this planet. It's finite. And every decision we make means we aren't doing something else. So if I choose to learn Italian, by definition, that means I'm not taking the time to study French or you know, German, etc. I think and I think this is really important. Maybe this is super obvious to everybody listening, but you know, we can't be friends with everyone. Like if there's whatever 8 billion people in the world, we cannot be friends with all of them. In fact, we can probably only be true friends with a compared to the 8 billion people on the planet, almost no one right? Because friendship by definition requires time and attention. And we just talked about we're all dealing with a very finite amount of time. And so, you know, whatever job you pick is going to impede, right? A development of skills in other areas. So sometimes I think it's good to just remember this when we are thinking about friendships our relationships, our work, our passions. It is all like that's, and I I actually kind of love this about life. The stakes are high folks. The clock is ticking and we should be like, there isn't time to waste here. You know, it's a big, amazing, sometimes harsh, sometimes horrible, but always amazing world. And we better be thinking about Who are the people that we're spending time with? What are we reading? Because every book you read means you're not reading 10 million other fascinating books that might really help you. The movies we watch, you know, so on and so forth. So I don't know. I just, I think it's good maybe to just remember that. Yes, our passion, if you're truly passionate and going down that road, we have to say no to dozens and dozens and more realistically thousands and thousands of other options Mm -hmm. that's the way this all works Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that kind of like leads into um not that we have to go into it right now but you know the area that we were talking about next of you know how do we choose the right things in our life and have boundaries around our time and our energy and i really I love what what you were talking about before is, you know, if you're like studying one language, you're probably not studying a lot of others or being friends with, you know, only a certain amount of people. Um, the word that comes to mind is discernment. I really like the word discernment and just the importance of being like very, very discerning because it, time is so precious and we don't have a ton. We don't have unlimited energy. Um, so, yeah, that was what came to mind is just like the beauty of discernment is, uh, yeah just so important. And I think also to like add on to what you were saying, when I read this question, the, the, can your passion impede your curiosity? I also kind of think of them as different potential states of being like passion. I kind of think of as like, uh, type a 
driven, maybe working towards a goal or towards a thing like, you know, hot, fiery and curiosity, I kind of think as more like right brain or left brain, what, the creative side of your brain, which one is it? Why am I? It's your right brain, right? Because if you're left-handed, you're more creative and you're using your your right. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, you get it. You get the point. Um, But like the curiosity is kind of being more of like the open-ended, like creative brain at work, like Mm -hmm. um, not so like driven. Yeah. I mean, in a way they actually, I don't know if I want to stand by this, but let's try it. They actually are kind of opposites. I think to to get to your point, like passion... If you are passionate, that means you have homed the focus. Right. Curiosity exactly. is enabling yourself to open up. Yeah. And yeah, be expansive, exactly. to be open to things that you don't know you're into yet. That's the whole point, right? Right. You don't know what you don't know. You don't yet know what you don't like or love. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah. And like it, I also, the way I think of it is like, and she kind of said that later in the quote, I quit, kept quit reading because it was kind of long, but um, that curiosity can lead to a passion. So I don't think that like one is better than the other, but no. as like a reliable source of inspiration or direction in times of question or need, like leaning towards curiosity and not having to figure out purpose or passion first and that curiosity can lead you there. Yep. No, not only I would say, not only is it, it's got to be the case that one isn't better than the other, both are crucial. Right. Right? Right. Because the other thing is, if you stayed infinitely curious, literally infinitely curious, you would never make the step to commit to something or someone. Right. To a path. And so you could learn, you could learn, you know, do a Wikipedia dive your entire life learning about every single language out there that's ever existed. And then you would have, at the end of your life, never actually learned one of them or any of them. Right. And so this is where, you know, we have to make choices. Um, I think the only other thing to say then is certainly once we have homed in on a particular passion in in a point in our lives, the ability to still stay curious within that passion Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll get to this, but that actually strikes me as a bit of the key Mm -hmm. to like, how can a passion continue to be a passion? Mm -hmm. It means maybe back to our first question, the the exact significance, the exact meaning is going to have to shift. Mm -hmm. Think about this in terms of long-term relationships too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're not, it's not that you, you know, you meet someone, maybe there's this big passion, talk to anybody that has been in a long-term relationship, that is going to shift over time. Mm -hmm. You better stay curious about elements of that person Mm -hmm. uh, that you didn't know before, Mm -hmm. or this isn't going to end. It's going to end in staleness. Right. And like exploring curiosities as a way to keep the passion alive in relationship. Yeah. Love that connection. Mm. Nice. We love. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) where to okay well um okay we talked about this one before i think this one is really interesting too um how do you navigate following your passion if your partner isn't necessarily on the same page uh jamie asked this and yeah woof we both read this beforehand and we're like yeah man 
hurts, right? Isn't that tough? Um, I feel like for me, this is the hardest question to answer out of every all of them that I read. Because um, I don't necessarily, I, like I don't have a great answer off the top of my head. Um, I think that at least in my previous experience in relationships, they're um, at least at bare minimum for me to feel happy in the relationship. There has to be some base level of support or understanding of my passion from my partner and like not a resentment. And I feel like if your passion leads to resentment in your partner, like, I mean, resentment of any kind is a breeding ground for, you know, but... I don't want to say disaster, but you know where I'm going with this. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, um, you know, getting curious around how your partner feels about you following your passion, even if they're not on the same page. And what does um, them supporting your passion look like for you? What would you need for them? And also vice versa, right? Like they probably have a, a passion or a curiosity and you know, maybe they're looking for some connection around it or support. And just like with anything, meeting with, you know, the shared values and shared desires. And even though it might look different, um, I think we all have to navigate it a different way. But yeah, it's really tough, especially if your passion is really time consuming or leads to travel time away from the relationship. Like that's tough. I know sometimes I've had people that, you know, were professional skiers and what they find is like ways to go on international trips with their partners or spouses where the sport isn't a part of it, or maybe they get to do their sport and then meet up with their partner. Like there's infinite ways, but yeah, I think that base level of like figuring out what does support look like and feel like, and can you get there is important. I'm curious your thoughts, Jonathan. No, I, I think I agree with all of that. I think an, I, I keep thinking about just another aspect to this, especially where it, if we're talking about a situation where we're, we're talking about a career change. So if two people have, you know, they're together and you get used to a certain, now I'm just going brass tacks, you get used to a certain, you know, economic situation. You know, you're both uh, splitting rent on a house or one person is, you know, the breadwinner or something. And if that person is like, well, I'm going to leave my, you know, accounting job or whatever job to go learn how to play the ukulele, there just immediately becomes the like, brass tacks, economic decisions of like, how, how does this work? You know? And, and I think that is one area we know this from relationship studies that, you know, money becomes like one of the, it's the single biggest or one of the single biggest thing where real conflict arises. And I think one of these is a kind of curveball to introduce. And so if you happen to you know, have trust funds and you're just independently wealthy, there's probably a different, you know, re, um, reality to this situation. But I think for most people, it's like, cool, um, have fun doing that. I'm still like nose to the grindstone trying to make it work. So that then I'd love to hear what you think of that scenario. Um, man, they're better because if you feel like, man, somebody just wants to shirk responsibilities 
and they don't want to pull their weight anymore, that is a real recipe, I think, for resentment. So, so how do you get to the point where like, I see you, I get it, I want to support you on this. How do we figure this out together? I don't think that's simple at all. No, definitely not. <laughs> I feel like you might have some thoughts on this, given your own <laughs> situation of the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, how, yeah. We're all just trying to figure out, right, how to make it and how to make money, make ends meet, how we want to spend our time, what directions we want to take in life. So I think what I like heard you talking about was um, the valuable resources, um, both, well, like I started out talking about the resource of time. And if the passion is taking away time from the relationship or from the partner, like that's a valuable resource that is needed in relationship. And then you were talking about in partnership, the valuable resource of like finances and when finances are on the table. And if the part, if you're following a passion, either a at the expense of the relationship finances or b in a way where you can afford to do it, but your partner can't. And that's divisive. That's, you know, reason for separation. Like, yeah, that's tough. Um, I don't know that I have the answers. You know, it's like the way that Pete and I decided to do it with the boat was like, I had the money, he had the time and the knowledge. And, and so we pooled together with buying the boat and working on it. You know, we did all the work ourselves. Like he taught me how to sail. You know, I did take a couple sailing courses that I'm really glad I did. Um, but, uh, everyone works it differently, you know, and then we got to a place where, we were sharing finances and it just didn't feel good, for, especially for Pete. He's like, I don't want to be relying on you for money. It just like feel it takes away from my autonomy. But then I was like, well, if you're going to try and make money while we're on the boat, like that's going to change our lifestyle drastically. And so, yeah, the, like the finances in how we make our relationship work, how we make our passions work together, like it is not cut and dry and everyone does it differently is what I've learned. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. It's just what works for each person, each couple. And yeah, like if one person can afford to, you know, go on trips and do all the stuff and the other person can't, like, yeah, it's tough. I don't know. I don't have and and specifically this question said, how do you navigate following your passion if your partner isn't necessarily on the same page. So the question here is about our in our scenario, you know, somebody already is saying, I don't I don't love that. Mm-hmm. What's well, yeah, it's tough to know what isn't on the same pages, but yeah, probably means like isn't passionate about the same thing. Um is how I interpret it. Except except Angel, I'd say on that if it was like Hey, um, I want to go learn how to make sushi. And someone's like, I don't like sushi. (laughs) I don't see that as being the big problem. It is the problem that you pointed to. It's the time away. Mm -hmm. It's what that might mean in terms of the financial shifting up of the situation. Yeah, or time, yeah. Yep. And so, and there then, I don't know. I think this is where it's like, man hope hope you partnered well yeah <laughs> and that you are being a good partner too because now you got to solve this and i think it is i think you you have hit on it in large part the time i guess another thing might be values 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, shared values, right. political values, religious values, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, um, this is going to cut into the time we get to spend together, or this is not my value system, mm-hmm. or this isn't the economic arrangement that we've established, and I don't like this. Yeah. I don't know. Now we're into full give and take territory and is the answer maybe you figure it out and maybe you don't yeah i mean i i still stick with like my first uh my the first thing that came to me when i read the question which is just like figuring out what it would take to figuring out what supporting each other's passions look like and what's getting in the way and can there be a meeting on both sides of things that are of high importance to both partners and um that seems like the first place to start okay the next question is sort of the exact follow-up to what we're just saying should you follow your passion at the potential costs of relationships mm-hmm. that was from um the i the instagram handle was tan she but i didn't i couldn't find the name well i think that it depends on the quality of the relationship you know, and I think uh, it's that's a really tricky one. I was just watching this uh, or listening to this thing on how the number one predictor of longevity in life is the amount of quality relationships that you have in your life as the number one predictor, right? And so we're social beings, loneliness, I forget the stats um, of like, uh, you know, if you are drink heavy, alcohol, you're 10 times likely to die early. There's all these stats of like obesity, alcohol, smoking, and loneliness is like at the highest, highest end of the rank of um, early death. So that being said, so like, you know, whatever our passions are, they give us a lot of joy and purpose and meaning oftentimes. And so that I think is also super, super, super valuable. And so I think it just depends. The, my, the way my I interpret it is like, what are what's the quality of the relationship and um are they supporting you as a person and are they not um you know there's a potential where it's like you're so committed to your passion that you're not hanging out with many people and so you're not nurturing relationships right and i think we can go through phases where that's the truth and it's sustainable and it's fine and then um but if it's like costing relationships, it just makes me wonder like, yeah, are those relationships quality? Are they supporting you? Are they maybe giving you good feedback about like, hey, you're kind of going off the rails with this with this thing. Like, you know, what about living these other aspects of your life? Tough to tell. I have no idea. But I do think that good relation, my good relationships um, I want to tend and they also are very supportive of me and what I want to do. And if I'm, you know, sailing around the world and only talk to them once every six months, we can pick up the phone and it's like nothing happened. And they don't take me wanting to live my life in the way that I want to live it personally. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really nuanced, but I will say my best relationships totally support me. And also, I trust for shooting it to me straight if they're giving me feedback about something. Um, But I don't necessarily think that our passions have to cost us the right relationships. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Because 
just to underscore kind of what you've said, if somebody is, let's say, going down the rabbit hole on a new thing, a new passion that will, by definition, require a lot of time and focus, right? And so in the what you're calling the right relationships, if people are like, that's awesome. How can we support you? What do you need? Now, the flip of that is that our passionate hero better at times be asking that question of the other people, the other relationships, right? Because if it's only a one-way street, that's the Stoics are so good on this topic, but if it's if it's only a one-way street, that's not actually it's not a friendship. It's not what we're calling a real relationship or the right relationship, right? That's all 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 take no give. And you know, you can look at history. You know, think of the people we call geniuses in history, musical geniuses, etc., where it never was about anybody else. Right. And in that case, those people, and you know, that's how the world works. And maybe they compose beautiful music and the world is better off for that single mindedness. But if we're getting into the question of it costing relationships, that would be an example where it did, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I do, I have had relationships where people are like, they take, they take it personally like the things that I want to do. And if I'm not reaching out to them and, and it's like they make it all about them, um, it's got a certain feel to it. We can kind of feel that. And I can, what I can say is all, none of my relationships now do that. Everyone is like a cheerleader in my corner and I'm a cheerleader. And there's, there's to your point, Jonathan, like there is a reciprocity that is important. And the right relationships, like I've found, I naturally want to do that for instead of you know, every time I see a text from them, I have a little bit of dread because I'm like, oh God, I haven't gotten back to them. Like they're going to be kind of mad or whatever. All my friends are like, oh yeah, no, like all good. No worries. Just thinking about you. You know, there's like not a too much expectation. So yeah. It's also, you know, thinking about, man, I'm thinking about med school and like residencies. Mm-hmm. Talk about one of the most just messed up seeming career paths and and relationship dynamics, right? So intense. Where someone's like, cool, so for the next four to seven years, I'm going to definitely not sleep enough, rarely be around, and for some of those years, not making much money. So when they're in a relationship, right, with their partner, like, so this sounds great for you, and many, many people do that or, or pick your, you know, perhaps it's law school. There's a lot of examples where people are doing an incredibly unbalanced move like this and how, you know, that's where it's like, hey, we're going to do this now, make these sacrifices, but to then there has to be that shift, right? That or There has to be that shift of checking in and and I don't know, I think in every relationship, people are managing those things and navigating them. And I wish I had something smarter to say here about how like the blueprint or the algorithm to make that all go and keep it good. But I I, I think 
at a minimum, it's that how are you doing? What are you need? What do you need? And um, we probably need to be asking that with all of our friendships, partners, whatever. And but we are highlighting certain situations where it's like you're you're not. I'm not going to be able to give you what you need for an extended period of time. And those are tricky things, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard this analogy before of um, like when you're in a relationship, each person has a five gallon bucket full of water. And sometimes when we're in certain situations, the other partner is like, hey, I can carry your bucket of water because you need to rest or do this other thing, work. Um, but that can only be sustainable for so long, right? And so it's like, I love that image of how to maintain balance in the relationship. And yeah, a relationship is always between two people. It's always going to be different of what each person needs and communication around that specific communications, relationship check-ins about the relationship. Pete and I do it once a week. Hey, how are you doing really? How am I doing really? How's our relationship doing as like its own entity? What could we be doing better? Is there anything that's like on the table that is bothering you or that we should clear up? And kind of that regular relationship check-in is such a helpful tool for us. And um, I mean, I didn't make it up. Like the Gottman Institute has so many good resources for relationships. Um, I love Esther Perel. Um, Yeah, there's a lot out there, but yeah, to that extent, it's like, it can only be unbalanced for so long. And um, each person can, you know, be communicative about it. Next question. What happens when you work so hard to get somewhere and then realize it's not it? This isn't for me. (laughs) Yeah. That's from Bex. Thanks, Bex. Um, (laughs) Woof. That's one of my favorite new expressions. Where'd you well, pick that up? I have no idea. I don't know. I probably heard it from somebody. I have maybe made it up, but Pete and I say it all the time. Like when it's like, a, oh, instead of that, we just say woof, woof. Um, but I have been there. Yeah. I like with film skiing, you know, I, well, I think I've even talked about this on the podcast before, but my first trip in Alaska with Sage Cadvergillosa, I was sharing a cabin with him and I forget where we were, but he was like, Angel, I have one piece of advice for you. If you really love skiing, don't get into pro skiing. And I was like, uh, (laughs) here I am. Like, I've just made this dream come true of like skiing in Alaska with my heroes and that's his piece of advice. I was like, dang it. Um, Okay. Didn't know what to make of it. Two, three years later, I'm like, oh, that's what he's talking about. We spend a lot of time traveling and waiting on weather windows and so much less time skiing. Like actually what I was just talking with Kate Zilef about this, but when you get into pro skiing, you end up skiing way less and you're, it's actually hard to maintain your level of like technicality and everything. So anyways, back to the question. Yeah. Busted my butt to get there and build a name for myself also in the film industry. And then I was like, well, this kind of sucks. I'm like not skiing that much. And also it's like stressful in its own way and it's really expensive. Um, And I was like, shoot, I, all my ducks are in this basket. Now what? And I kind of, um, I think that there is this dance that we have to do with um, 
committing through challenge, you know, but then when we realize something isn't it, not feeling like it's a failure if we're like, oh, this isn't the thing. Because how are we supposed to know if we don't try? And if you gave it your all and you're like, you worked super hard, like there should be no blaming of self. There should be no feeling of failure. And I get that it's really hard to not do that to yourself because I, from experience, I know very well, even with the boat thing, I'm like, all right, I'm going to live aboard and sail around the world and like get two years in. And I'm like, I don't want to live on the boat 20 your 12 months a year, like 24 seven. I need to take some time off. Like that's where I thrive. And it kind of felt like giving up on this dream. And I'm like, all right, so I quit skiing and now I go to this boat thing. I don't want to do that. I just started this music production course was like all in. I'm like sick. This is going to be the way that I really kind of get music into my life. This is my doorway in. And two months in, I'm like, the teacher is not helping. Like I'm spending a lot of money. There's got to be a better way. And instead of, I think before I probably would have dragged it out longer. And this time I was like, all right, I grappled with feeling like a failure for a minute. And I'm like, no, it's time for me to follow something else better in my life. You know, just like you said, Jonathan, for everything you say no to, you're saying yes to something else and vice versa. So, um, I just want to empathize and be like, it freaking sucks when you have done that and you've worked your butt off. Maybe it was your passion. You're like, you had this idea dream. And then you're like, well, damn it. And that's okay. It's not the end of the world. There's so, there's a whole big wide world out there and it's actually our oyster. And Um, there's a million ways to live like a life that's really cool and fulfilling. And hopefully what you get to take out of this experience is like the ability to move on and be like, nope, not it. Okay. Nope, not it. And not fear of committing to something else because you're worried that the same thing is going to happen. Cause I definitely had that as well. (laughs) And like, it's sort of like entering into a relationship after you got your heart broken and you're like, well, why would I invest all of this time and energy into this person when I'm probably just going to end up brokenhearted again? And it's like, it's an act of courage to go all in again. And I just, that's the way that I want to live my life. So that's the way I try to do it. Passing the mic to you. I love that. I love that. It is an act of courage. And if I can put even a um, maybe rosier picture on this, and I, and I mean this, and I've, I've talked about this a bit before, I want to congratulate you, the person in this scenario who's gone down this road, done the hard work, shown grit, perseverance, all the things it takes to be good at anything, literally anything at life. You've done all that. You got to the end. And you're like, man, I don't think this is it for me. And you've already said, hey, don't worry about it. Don't feel bad. No, you just picked up skills along the way. You, through that grit, through that focus, you have gained new experiences. You have broadened your perspective. I think you are now better suited to go on to the next thing and you have a like I said this broader skill set broader perspective in the rest you're gonna bring experience skills into the new thing that might make you better at the next thing and so I think a big thing for me and will a couple of our questions coming up touch on this for the, more on the side of the like what if I'm just not motivated yet what if I haven't found that lane found that rabbit hole that I want to dive in and commit to for for now 
go do anything, but do it well, you know? And I've used the example in the past, like if you're like, man, I'm a college student and I just need to make some money to be able to buy ramen noodles and I got a job as a pizza delivery person. Go learn as much as you can in that role. There are things to learn. And I do think that is one of the great secrets to a successful life is whatever your situation is, figure out what's interesting and what the opportunities are to learn. Get the curiosity part. Open up that curiosity rather than be like, I'm in this job, it's stupid, I don't like it. I can't wait to just be done. Probably not the helpful or best perspective to, to be in. And then, and then if and when you're like, yeah, maybe you know up front, this isn't the thing that I want as my end all be all. Whether you learn that, at, whether you know that at the beginning or whether you learn that say after the, you know, five years of residency, well, whatever you go into, I think you're going to be better off, but, but make the pivot, make the change. Don't be afraid of that. It is an act of courage, but congrats to you for having learned and done the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big, big. Re- I don't know who I'm giving a pep talk to right now, but that was my pep talk. <laughs> well, I hope, I, I hope I, it was to somebody that is in need of it because that was a sick pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Someone's Thank going to hear Angel. it and it's going to be great. I mean, okay. I, I was I, also kind of getting hyped up. So. <laughs> and All right. I just like, I can't, my friend Meg always says, like, retweet, like, cannot. I just so echo everything you said, you know, like I spent my whole life film skiing, you know, and I'm like, cool, I've never worked like a real job. I mean, I've done some other stuff, but I've never, you know, had a W2. And uh, I was really intimidated quitting skiing because I'm like, all right, I've spent all of my skills or all of my life learning these skills in the mountains, right? Like, and now I'm going to go to the ocean. (laughs) And I actually am kind of burnt out on the mountains. I don't even know if I ever want to go back to the mountains. Like, am I going to, what am I going to do with all of this? I've invested all this time and, um, and I really grappled with it. And what I found to your point was like, oh my God, so many of the skills that I acquired without like no, even knowing I was acquiring them or, um, just like life skills. My mentor, um, Kim always says, all of the things we do, they're just platforms to learn about ourselves and to learn about life. And so we can interchange these platforms. And a lot of times the lessons we learn along the way, whether they're conscious or unconscious, they continue over. And so, yeah, that's definitely what I found. And to continue on with whoever this pep talk is for, like, so true. You know, I would just find these, whether it's business skills or uh, rope skills or whatever it is, it's like crazy, actually, sometimes the way you get into this other situation in your life and you're like, oh my God, almost like magic. I actually am so prepared for this one thing in this one way because of this thing that I used to do or did five years ago. And it's really cool and really magical when those realizations come and you're like, oh, wow, it wasn't all for naught. And yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think to 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 stay on this for a minute, as when you mentioned rope work, for example, I love that. What are you learning when you're doing rope work? One, how to be meticulous. Two, recognizing there's real consequences if this gets screwed up. And and those like that capacity, the that attention to detail literally works for anything you're going to do on earth 
and be any good at. And that isn't, that, that's not a, a skill, a learned skill, a learned discipline that it's like, well, if you're an accountant, it's different than if you're doing rope work. It's like, no, do you have, have you developed that capacity to, for, you know, to show attention to detail, to check the work, to have the understanding of like, well, maybe that isn't quite right. And you know when to go back and triple check it. That it's easy. I love. That's why I love that example of rope work because I was like, rope work, okay. But exactly to the point, um, we have underlying skills and virtues and values. Um, you have those. You can go plug those into anything. But if you don't have that fundamental attention to detail or the recognition of like this is high stakes right now, I cannot screw this up. You're going to be bad at virtually anything you try to go do. There you go. We should all get in. Now we need to go take a rope working class. I need to up my rope working game. <laughs> yeah, that was actually a um, quick little backstory between when me and Pete met. I walked into the office and he was um, there and I was just like, oh, who is this? stallion and um i didn't recognize him but i gave everyone in the op- i was in it, he was working for tgr i walked into the office to work on my summer uh in the summer to work on my segment that was about to come out in the fall i see pete in this group of office people you know i mo- know most of them they're all giving me hugs pete gives me this giant hug and i was just like smitten he gave me the best hug he's like angel hi and i was like should i know this guy i I don't recognize him but i feel like i would recognize him if we had met before so i walk (laughs) into the editor's office next door and i close the door behind me and i'm like joe who's that guy that's like sitting at this desk and she's like which desk? And I was like, this one, the right by in that corner. And she's like, oh, Pete, that's Pete. And I was like, Pete, what's Pete's deal? Meaning like, is he in a relationship? Like, what, yeah, you yeah. know? And she was like, <laughs> she's like, well, we don't work together. Um, so I don't know him super well, but I do know he's super nice and he's really good at knots. <laughs> and I was like, perfect. We can work with this. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, in that moment. Oh, Rope work. He's good at Brought knots. me and Pete together, apparently. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> Pro- yeah. Proving our point. Proving yeah, exactly. our point, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, if you're not sure what to do with your life right now, go get good at rope work and tying <laughs> knots. That's very. That's maybe the most practical advice we'll be able to offer in this conversation. Yeah, probably. Like Spencer wrote in with a question, and I want to try to paraphrase this a little bit because it's a really good question. When you are considering taking something and moving it from the realm of the a passion of yours and potentially turning that into a job, what things do you consider to try to differentiate what might be just kind of some natural fears of something new on the one hand versus legitimate reasons for not taking that passion and moving it into a, a career because that just might not be the right thing for you to do or your lifestyle, or maybe it's just not necessary to try to make the jump from taking something that is a passion of yours and turning it into a career. So or a bigger I think project. Question, or, yeah, or a bigger project. So here, yeah. we're talking about, I think, how do you differentiate sort of natural fears that maybe we should just get over versus some legitimate rationales and like good reasons to not go forward. Yeah. Yeah. 
That was maybe the yeah. world's worst paraphrase, no, I but think, there I you think are, it was people. Good. I think it was good. Okay, thank, yeah. thank you. You're real nice. Thank you, Angel. <laughs> um, what I mean, do you it's got? It's my on name. This? I kind of got to try and live yeah, up you to gotta, it. You kind of got to. Got to do it. Um, well, do, I mean, do you have immediate thoughts on this? I feel like you would about this, but I'm curious. Why? Why do you feel like I would? I don't know. I just, <laughs> because you're a thoughtful man. Um, <laughs> what? Well, I just feel like because you have. Um, taken so many of your passions and turned them into things. Mm. And I would imagine you have other passions that you haven't turned into things. Um, mm. I guess because you've turned so many of your passions into pr- big mm. projects. That's why, I, okay. why it struck me. And and, may- and maybe I would say I tend to not, the, the fear part is not big for me, mm. you know? So I think I have been pretty willing, or if this is all a spectrum, I think... Like I, I don't, I'm afraid of a lot of things. I'm afraid of sharks, you know, um, I'm afraid of getting hit in the face with a baseball. My close friends know this about me, sharks and baseballs. Um, but the fear of, oh, I could start this new venture. Um, that's pretty low for me because I'm, I'm, I know I'm willing to do the work and like really go do the work sometimes to a terrifying degree to make it happen. Um, but, but part of that assessment is if, if I'm willing to do the work, do I actually have any talent in this area? Right? Like, do, can I see a clear path? I might not know exactly how it all goes down. And in fact, you're never going to know. That's, that's fake. It's a facade if you think you know exactly what the layout is going to look like for your venture. You don't, you won't, but do you, can you see that clear picture of how one, are you willing to go do the work? And can you then imagine what this would look like? And, and then there probably are some, you know, like I wouldn't be like, I'm going to go start a car company. Like, wait, I don't, I don't know anything about engineering cars that is a incredibly capital intensive pursuit to go start. So you better know how you're gonna raise hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars to do it. All things outside of my wheelhouse. So even if I loved cars, not something I'm going to try to turn into a career. Um, maybe I try to get a job at a, at a certain car company or something, but I think there needs to be some some calculus about can I see a clear path of where that goes? And then for me at least, the the real question of am I willing to make some extraordinary sacrifices to actually get to that vision of things? And then then it's know thyself time. Because if somebody's like, you know what sounds better than making extraordinary sacrifices? Not making extraordinary sacrifices and just having a lot of free time. Cool. That's fine. That's awesome. But you might not, you might not want to make that move of the passion to the career choice. Or in your case, Angel, who said the line, if, if you know, to pro skier, uh, filming for ski movies, you know, if you're not terrified at the top of the line, it's almost certainly not going to make it into the movie. Do you know what I like doing? Going skiing and not be literally absolutely terrified of the line below. <laughs> so I probably, 
probably shouldn't at this stage in my life try to get, you know, go down that path. But I think those are some of the things where we can check in, mm-hmm. you know, and just ask ourselves, like, you you ready to do that? You stoked on that? Like, I want to face down my fears at the top of the line for the sake of getting the shot for the film. Like, mm-hmm. I, that's not that's not what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of, I um, I echo everything you just said. And I feel like there's this, there's sort of a question too of like, what's at stake? What's at stake if you move this passion into a bigger work project or, or like project or work? Like, what are the potential uh, risks involved, financial mm-hmm. risks, yeah. relationship risks, you know, I'm kind of doing mm-hmm. like a really good risk assessment yeah. I like <laughs> is that. how I, how I operate, you know, being like, okay, well, what's yeah. actually at stake? What can I do to, um, work with that? Can I work with that? Am I willing to work with that? Like to your point. And I also think that, um, sometimes, you know, we work out the, we spend a lot of time in our head being like, okay, is this the right move? Is this not the right move? Sometimes it's helpful to work with, you know, our analytic brain and to make a list, <laughs> like here are all the reasons why I should move this career or move this passion into a project or career. Here's all the, here's all the yeses, all the pros. And then maybe make a list of all the cons and then make a list of like the risks either way, right? Maybe if you don't do it, you're looking at just a miserable mundane existence for you or, you know, so like what's at stake on both sides maybe. And sometimes it's helpful to look at these lists and really see like, oh, wow, I can't really come up with many reasons why I shouldn't do this. Um, It's just a fear of failure or a fear of the unknown or a fear of if I actually go for this, I'm not going to succeed or be good at it. Um, And so those fears, you know, are real and also maybe not worth not doing the thing for. And so to this question, like, how do you differentiate between fears and legitimate rationale of like doing the thing versus not doing the thing? Um, I would also encourage just like what I encourage with all things in life and skiing really helped me with this with it, which is just like kind of doing the gut check, you know, like when you think about it, does it equally excite you and terrify you at the same time? But like, also maybe just a teeny bit more excitement than terror or is it like you're filled with a little bit of like dread maybe just a teeny bit of dread if there's any teeny bit of dread like in my experience it's not the thing it's not the right thing my if I'm really looking at like okay do I really want to do this thing there's like and I know everyone's experience is different so I'm just speaking to like how it feels to me there's like there's a lot of terror and there's a lot of excitement. Um, and I know it's right because of the amount of excitement that's there. I'm like, yes, I feel so excited about this. Um, and also, you know, sitting on it for a a minute, a period of time and asking your most closest trusted people. Um, I only told one person because I've met Pete and within three weeks, we're like, let's fricking buy the boat and sail around the world. And it, um, I knew, right. But I wasn't going to tell anyone that I, like, I knew I, I had this really good feeling that it was the right thing to do. And 
but I knew not everyone would understand and I needed the right people to reflect in the right ways. And so I didn't tell that like hardly anyone. I told a couple of my closest friends that I knew got it. And I'll never forget my friend, Jess. She just looked at me and she was like, Angel, life is freaking short and you're not marrying this guy. You're not having kids. Everything is like reversible. If you trust him, and you act like you trust him completely with your safety and stuff. And like, that's not the issue. Like, and you're fired up about it, go for it. And I was so grateful for that advice. And um, so, yeah, trusted advisors, trust your gut, maybe write it out. Um, and I love the, uh, that the idea you're only one decision away from a completely different life. Like at any point, we can make massive direction shifts in our life. It's actually closer to us. So um, yeah, there's windows when it's the right time, I think, to uh, seize an opportunity. And those windows do close. And also not coming from a place of scarcity if it's not feeling right. Um, You know, there will be other opportunities, more opportunities. So yeah. That was long-winded, but maybe maybe just one last really brass tacks thing to add is try to talk to some people in the field that you're thinking of moving into. So now in your case, I don't know if this would have worked or if you could have done this or did do some of this, but you talked about, you know, your when Sage told you if you want to continue to be really passionate about this, don't start becoming a film skier. But like for anybody out there listening to this, you've identified your passion. You're now thinking, what about turning this into a career? Have you talked to some people in that field before you make the jump? Like, Because I think we, most of us in, in uh, over many professions, it's easy to kind of glamorize mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that's part of the attraction. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but but almost everything, once you get into it, it is not glamorous. Sailing life, not glamorous. The hardest thing I've ever done almost. And every sailor will tell you that. And I'm like, why do we just have this image that like, oh, sailing in the Caribbean, sipping a cocktail. And like, you know, 50% of the time I'm like elbows deep in, you know, engine grease, like with no part in sight for (laughs) countries and, you know, whatever. Like, but um, yeah, I like that point a lot. of talking to someone and, and knowing like it's going to lose its glamour. And so is it like, is it worth it that much to you? Like, do you have enough excitement and passion to want to see it through knowing it's going to get really hard? Just like when you're entering into a relationship and you're like, all right, I'm going to see all their, all their crap. And like, am I willing to go through that with this person and, and also trust them to hold me when they see all my crap? And maybe this is the right time. We We haven't talked that much about sort of missions or purpose. We've talked, like we've actually gone, I feel like a really maybe too long talking about passion and pursuing passions without tying that to what is the the greater mission or the greater sense of purpose, the, the greater value. And I, we don't have to say, well, you know, that there's only two or three purposes that matter in the world, but you you better have some clarity on that, right? The meaning behind it and why you're making these moves. Without that, that passion could get real fleeting. 
be real fleeting. Yeah, yeah. So what I know what I what I hear with you saying that is like getting really clear on the why. Why do you want to do it? There's this really great exercise when you're trying to figure out <clears throat> the why behind something cuz in um you know, when I studied to become an Ayurvedic health coach, there's a lot of behavioral science in there. And the way that they describe it is we focus so much on the how, all the details. How are we going to get there? But um, actually, the the what, what do we want to do? It's like the target. And we are um, like the uh, the archer. And the how is like the path there, right? It's like the trajectory. And we think we have to focus so much on the trajectory. But if we focus on the target the what, the why is actually the engine or like, you know, our, our arm. That's actually like what is always going to give the, the strength and the energy towards, um, it's going to give it the momentum that it needs to go. And so whenever we're losing our sight or trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to hit the target? Getting really clear with our why is really important. And so there's this exercise where you write down, okay, why am I going to do this? You write out your answer. And then you go, okay, well, why is that important to me? And you answer it again. And then you read that and you're like, okay, well, why is that important to me? And you do it three times. And so you kind of distill down. And so it feels weird at first, but you kind of distill down like, really, really, why are you doing this? And from there, you can kind of be like, eh, it's super, super, super important to me for these like really basic spiritual reasons. Or like, maybe it's not that much. I don't know. But it's it's a cool exercise for anything where you're figuring out your why. Because yeah, because then also when you're doing hard things and you're losing motivation or losing momentum or you're having a hard time showing up, um, I would tape my why like on my computer screen or on my mirror and come back to it. And it's like reinvigorating. So, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because if the idea is like, well, that looks really fun or that's exciting. What we're saying is that that will definitely ebb and flow and maybe completely fade away because there's no why behind it's exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe excitement is the reason why you live your life. Right. And then there's, you know, we all have infinite. We're all going to have infinite answers. But yeah, to your point, like trying to distill down. Yeah. Just the importance of it. How like, yeah. Anyways, you already said it all. (laughs) Retweet. Retweet. I like that tweeting isn't even technically a thing anymore. What what's it called now? I'm not even on whatever. Re-xing. X. I think we re. I don't Re-X'd. know. I'm not on it either. And it seems like might be soon. No one will be on it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But no, it's just like when you rebranding and rebranding is always kind of fascinating. Yeah, especially with big. There was like this major rebrand, and absolutely zero people have. <laughs> It's like 100% of people are still just calling it the old thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Here's an interesting one. How do you set new boundaries when you've previously said yes to something, but find it's now not for you? So this falls along the lines of decommitting. And Hannah asked us this one. Mm -hmm. Thoughts, Angel? Um, V, good question. Uh, it's really tough. I have a super hard time for this one. I think any people pleasers out there will resonate. Um, especially if we're really capable people and I don't know what the situation is, but where it's like, maybe you said yes, cause you could take it on your plate or you're like, yeah, I got this. Or maybe it was just your preferences have changed. Um, 
I find this one personally super difficult and I've had to do a lot of work on this, especially this past year. I've kind of had a theme this past year on this, on kind of, yeah, holding true to what's important for me. And I think um, from from my personal experience, uh, the first thing that I have to do is like prioritize or preface like for myself the importance and value and um, validity of my own wants and needs and that they I get to have them I get to uh, I get to determine how I want my life to be and that's okay and I really have to start going to that place because otherwise I'm like, well, I could probably make that thing work or I don't want to disappoint this person or I don't know what the situation is. And if it's with like people are involved, probably people are involved. Um, but really like realizing my the, th- the way that I want my life to be and the things that I need are just as valid. They're more valid than this other person's actually. Obviously, if you're in like a super committed relationship, then it's a different ballgame. But um, like letting first, 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 I always have to let my needs and wants be okay and not diminish them. Because what I find is I tend to diminish um, what I want in order to make things work. And so I start there. And then when I'm, uh, if I'm work, if I'm like talking with a person, I like, you just have to get okay with saying, Hey, I know that I've, um, I know that I said I was going to do this thing. I mean, I had to do it with you, Jonathan, with the, um, open mic pieces. It was really uncomfortable for me. I was like, Hey, I know I said I was going to do this thing. I acknowledge that there's repercussions. Um, but it's just not going to work for me anymore. And, um, like I, it's just not, And like having, being willing to like stop there and then not make any further concessions or try and people please or work with the situation in a way that doesn't feel good just because you feel bad about decommitting. Like it's really hard and um, it's okay to just say, hey, I know I said I was going to do this thing and it's not going to work for me anymore. And if there's like pushback from people or if people, you know, come back later and they're like giving you a hard time, you can be like, I know, I understand and it's just not going to work. Like, thank you for understanding or I'm sorry for the repercussions that this causes and period, like end of story. Um, We don't need to over explain. We don't need to defend. My mentor Kim always says, if you find yourself Um, over explaining or over defending, you're coming from kind of a disempowered place, like an egoic place. And when we're really strong in our conviction, we just know it's okay. We don't need to defend. We don't need to explain. They're either going to get it or they're not going to get it. And it's just up to us to hold our time and energy close and sacred and be okay with disappointing people. Because that's ultimately what it comes down to is probably there's going to be some disappointment or some repercussions. And so just not being afraid if you've previously said yes to something being like uh, multiple times, I know, and it's not going to work for me anymore. And if you want to give a reason, you can, you don't need to defend, you don't need to explain. Yeah, that's what I got. No, it's good. It's also why in our case, I didn't get it. And that's why I blocked your number. Yeah, exactly. And then we quit talking and we don't have a relationship. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's how I handled it. No, it's a good question. All right. Kind of related. How do you say no 
to a person for a project if they aren't skilled enough to do the project well or the vibe is off? That was from Cyril. Also, very tough question. It's not, <laughs> it's not you, it's me. No, just kidding. Um, that's super, super tough and super realistic, right? Especially if we're going in the backcountry or yeah, if it's like expedition type stuff, like, um, you know, I think that uh, if, if it's about skills, it might be good feedback if you can find a graceful way to say, hey, I think you're a great person. Um, I have so much respect for you. And like, um, I'm, I'm giving you this feedback, not from a place of criticism, but as a hope that um, it's uh, going to be helpful. And like, we need these certain skills. And for the safety of the team, like we, I need to like have ultimate, ultimate confidence and it's not any crap on you. And I also think that this could be an area that you could work on that would be helpful for your career. And it's the reason why I'm not choosing you on this trip. And again, it's not personal, but this could be an area that, um, might be really helpful for you to improve upon. And you can even tell them how you, you know, sometimes it's helpful to be like, it's, this is really hard for me to say because I think you're great or like, I don't want to disappoint you or like, I really want these opportunities for you. And I also want to be real. And, you know, I tend sometimes same thing with the people pleasing to not give people the truth and not give people the reason why. Right. And it's kind of a cop out. And, Sometimes people are going to take the uh, feedback well, and sometimes they're not. But if we limit a potential growth opportunity that's coming from a true place of care and not criticism, but like truth, if it's anchored in truth and I'm withholding that truth, then it's also kind of a disservice to them, even though it's really hard. And so um, I these are like my least favorite conversations. Um, so do with it what you will. But I think if we can find a way to give the feedback in a loving way and say, Hey, like, this is really hard for me. And also this is the truth. And I see this as a potential. The reason why I'm saying it is I see it as a potential opportunity. And like, I would love to do a trip with you in the future or whatever. Um, that's kind of my take on the on the skills thing, the vibe, that's a whole different can of worms. Um, and that might be something where you come up with a reason that maybe isn't necessarily the whole truth. Um, but is like, I don't know with that one, I feel like getting more creative in, um, the reason Maybe that's maybe there's like a myriad of reasons. Is lying? I don't have I think a great you're one for, for the word no, lying. No, no, no. Just like <laughs> find. <laughs> I'm not saying lying. I'm saying finding another reason that is valid, but not the reason. Um, and I don't know. Or maybe it's like, um, maybe is it you? That, well, yeah, I don't know. That one is just so tough. Do you have any insight on this? Because I think it's really tough. I think, you know, we we're this would be really helpful when we're talking about what if the vibe is just off with somebody like you you mentioned, you know, going into the back country. If the vibe is off, 
with somebody in the backcountry, we are in very real high stakes situations potentially. Uh, even if we're going out on a you know a moderate day, or you know we have no concerns of say avalanche slides, you going out with people where if by the vibe is off. There, we're going to take that to mean at least there's a communication issue or disconnect. Stop right there. You know, if it's not something you can discuss, if it's not something that you just, you don't get along or you're not on the same page, don't do it. Now, if we're talking about a coworker and this isn't like a potentially life or death situation, um, it, so the, you know, this is why I say, I think it really would be interesting to know what what are we actually talking about in, you know, in this situation? I think this person is a professional skier. And so um, when he's, when they say how to say no to a person for a project, I think it's like probably a ski, pro, like an expedition or uh, a ski project. Um, so I would, so the, in this case, the vibe, I think would be like team vibes, communication vibes, AKA safety. Um, yeah. Then and then my thought would be, hey, I there's I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect or we're just not on the same page when it comes to communication or picking objectives or the rest, and I'm I'm not comfortable with that. Like I I just have a high bar for wanting to feel really like I'm on the same page with someone because then it's not I'm great, you're wrong. It's just acknowledging we might be in different positions, right? Um, that might be one way to approach it and it avoids your lying that you were trying to get us to do angel. Just kidding. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> did not say lying. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it's still, I mean, that's still tough cause it's still personal, right? Like saying, Hey, we're, we have differences of opinion. People tend to take that personally or at least in my mm -hmm. experience. But, um, I mean, yeah, obviously like as much of the bringing the truth as possible like hey i just noticed like with some of the team members like i really want us all to be vibing and um you know some of this like isn't i, I don't know i i'm kind of in a in a very weak spot mm -hmm. here so i think to to come back to something you were saying angel and and we're going to be wrapping this up shortly here but i tend to think that one of the absolute best things we can do for the people in our lives is actually be honest with them. And I don't mean be a jerk, be honest. I mean, like be charitable, be understanding all the things you were sort of saying and giving us examples of how to talk to another person that we care about. But if like just being honest with people turns out is pretty great and how frequently we refuse to do that or dread doing that or all the things you were saying it feels like oh this is gonna suck and and yet i still want to come back to like i the first thing being honest with people is one of the best gifts we can give somebody i think so mm -hmm. it's a weird mm -hmm. thing of maybe just the human experience we should do it yeah and, and we like, hate doing it. How to have difficult conversations yeah. is like difficult conversations are some of the hardest things in life. I guess when I read that question from I was viewing it through my own lens, which is like, 
let's say you're on the North Face team, right? And there's an athlete you don't vibe with. Hypothetically. Um, yeah. Well, so like, I'm, I actually haven't had this experience. Um, but what the lens I was viewing it through was like, okay, let's say I go back to the North Face team. I'm pitching a project. Another person really wants to be on it. And I'm like, mm, they're not going to be a good asset because their vibe isn't, a, I don't, I don't vibe with their vibe or they don't vibe with other people on the project. And the risk of saying, hey, and giving them honest feedback, if they take it very poorly, is like, creating discord in the team or uh that affects like your workplace social and stuff and so that's where it's like uh, i just i have empathy for like (laughs) finding more of the gray area of like the reason why because i i do see how it can if they take it personally and it creates animosity it can create like bad juju uh in the community or in the workplace and where that i just i have compassion for the reaper potential repercussions and that's kind of where i went where i was like yeah maybe you find like another reason maybe there's like maybe you make it about the other person that you wanted to pick and you're like hey it's like you know we ended up going with this other person because xyz and you find really good reasons about why you wanted to pick this other person or i don't you know um and focus less on their shortcomings. But I do still agree with you, Jonathan, that like when we can find ways to give the kind, honest truth from with an open heart and not from a place of criticism, those are so valuable. And, you know, people are going to take it how they're going to take it. And we don't have control over that. And that's one of the hardest things. But yeah. Last question. And that's, I think, will be a good way to sort of sum up a bit of this conversation Christian asked, when there's potential opportunity to walk down one of many paths, how do you know where to walk? So yes, there will be factors like the amount of effort or engagement you're giving, sure. But after that, it's all up to fate, I guess. The proverbial fork in the road. (laughs) The fork in the road. Um, I think that that's really tough. I mean, A, I think starting from a place of being grateful to have the many paths um, and being like, hey, this is really cool that I have these opportunities and kind of coming from a place of appreciation and gratitude, I always find opens up my cognitive capacity and decision-making process in a really helpful way. Um, So sometimes I try and start that when I'm feeling really confused. I like figure out what I'm working with that I'm really stoked on. And then sometimes clarity comes like sometimes I'm like really stoked about this one thing. Um, but I, again, I think it kind of comes to the curiosity thing, like what makes me most curious. And, um, sometimes I work with, you know, I've mentioned my mentor Kim a couple of times, but, um, working with like a trusted advisor and being able to talk it out, with trusted people or like my mentor, uh, my coach, Kim, uh, is a big tool that I always have when I'm dealing with some really big decisions. Um, and also the mentality that I like to have is, um, there's no wrong decisions. (laughs) Every decision just leads you to the next one. And like, I can't screw it up. Um, even if it feels like I can screw it up, like, you know, like we've talked about earlier, listing pros and cons of, you know, the different opportunities, what lights us up. Um, and 
this is going to sound a little woo woo, um, but like being willing to just go with one, like figure out what the right one is and get out of analysis paralysis and start moving down that path and just trust, like trust in the flow, surrender to the path that's unfolding. You're never going to be able to see maybe even one step ahead. <laughs> like I love that quote. Um, you will never, if you see the path laid out before you, it's not your path. It's someone else's. The path that you make is forged each step along the way. And so it can feel really bewildering and especially when you're in the void of the not knowing. And so yeah, just picking something and trusting that it's like going to be okay and that you can pivot if you need to. Um, that, yeah, there are no like bad, wrong decisions, right? You're only one decision away from a totally different life. And yeah, I don't know. That's not the most helpful answer, but that's my answer to the question. I'm curious what well, yours is. Well, you know, if we're, if we're imagining, right, there's a three different paths, let's say. Well, presumably, we can start with you find all of them intriguing, because if they weren't all sort of, let's say, pretty close to equally intriguing, you would have already ruled it out and started narrowing things down. Then I think you go back to what you were saying about the why. And I like, I like trying to hit in these conversations that can get, you know, not feel sometimes terribly anchored coming back to some of those anchors. And so I think the, the why test that you were talking about is a pretty great way to go. Because if, if, the, if, the, if we're looking at three different paths and one is like, well, that might, that might be more financially lucrative. Okay, well, I'm not sure that that's where we wanna be making these choices or, or maybe it's if one is clearly has there's an opportunity there maybe that should be factored in but i think coming back to the like why are you intrigued by let's say two of these three paths or all three of these paths and coming back to that and then if you really if if the answer kind of is all the same or you're you go through that you still kind of are equally compelled by all three then absolutely what you've said angel just pick one and we have to ultimately we have to commit to certain things certain ways to invest our time or your life is going to be less fruitful and we've also said in this conversation even if the end result isn't exactly what you wanted did you commit did you give it your honest go did you give it what you had to bring to that project and if the answer at the end of the day is yes i think you did good and I think you're better suited for the next fork in the road and your next days. You know, um, as Thoreau said, suck the marrow out of that particular project, that particular job. Um, and that's what, that's what we can do. That's what we can control. There's a lot we can't. That's what we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that. I kind of heard too in there, like maybe figuring out what your priorities for this time in your life are and maybe even five years down the road and just seeing how these different paths line up with what like really list the priorities out 
why those are the priorities that you have or what you're what you really are desiring to get out of life right now and then you know like seeing where those things line up with that angel i think we're going to leave it at that thanks to everybody for the excellent questions these are incredibly important things to talk about i don't think they're terribly simple to talk about if if we are acknowledging all of the dynamics and complexities around these issues. And so I hope people will forgive us if it didn't feel like we laid out the nice and easy 16-step track to get to the uh, exact answer or algorithm for these things. But but I'm grateful to anybody who sort of listened through us try to work out some of these things and do hope that... Um, do hope that it either inspired a few thoughts or maybe people to think about some of these things slightly differently than they had before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much everyone for the questions. And it's just really cool to like interact in this way with you and to bring it in with, you know, Jonathan to talk about and yeah, hopefully something landed, something helped with your life that resonated that you can take away. And yeah, just thanks to everyone who, has been gone this far with us. Should you suggest again? I mean, you've brought it up before you and I started recording the book, big magic. That's the, that is something that for people who are really trying to sift through some of the things we talked about today, is that the, is that where you send people to kind of think more along these lines or, or would there be some other resource specifically on the stuff we've talked about in this conversation? I know there's so much out there. Um, nothing is coming to mind. Big Magic was super inspiring for me um, and was really helpful and just kind of contextualize some ways to live life and so how to commit to certain things that you want to commit to and show up for. Um, I thought it was great. So I recommend it, especially for, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I could say that's, I would recommend it, period. Angel, thanks as always. Good to talk about these things with you and uh look forward to doing it the next time and and i'm gonna go sign up for a not not tying class now (laughs) that sounds great (laughs) i'm in full support it was awesome talking um love it as always thanks jonathan (laughs) all right angel we'll talk to you soon bye well that's a wrap folks and tomorrow over on our blister cinematic podcast feed Cody Townsend and I are going to be dissecting the incredible 2004 Matchstick Productions film Yearbook, and Cody and I had a great time breaking down that film. If you haven't already watched it, go watch it tonight, and then you can see if you agree with my choices and Cody's choices about who won the movie and what were the most rewatchable things and more. So that is over on our Blister Cinematic podcast feed, and we will catch you all over there. Finally, I want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks again to all of you who wrote in with your really thoughtful and smart questions. Until tomorrow, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will catch you tomorrow over on Blister Cinematic. Bye, everybody.